welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm your host, David Hyde, here with Erica C. Barnett of Publicola, who I assume you look kind of cool. Are you sweltering or are you kind of cool? What's going on? I love the heat. I love the heat. It's great. You I'm in love my element. the heat. I'm a lizard, man. She's from Mississippi, David. <laughs> She's from she Mississippi. All right. Uh, Mississippi burning. In Texas, um, yeah. And uh, yeah. political consultant Sandeep Kashik, who, uh, as a former East Coaster, knows it's not the heat, it's the humidity and the air conditioning, which he's probably sitting in right now. That's my guess. Got some AC on? It's the heat. I don't have air conditioning in my house. Oh my god! Fucking Seattle! <laughs> wow! Tough. I, I I need to call the I need to call the heat pump people because well, this is the, these summers are getting they're getting too popular. Hot. Get ready to part with forty thousand dollars. They're getting popular. <laughs> yeah. All right. Today, speaking of heat, we're bringing the heat. Talking about the revenue stabilization task force and this brand new, everything about it, completely brand new, as Eric is soon going to tell us, drug criminalization law. I'm joking, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying Eric is saying some of it's not new. But let's start with the Revenue Stabilization Task Force. And I want to start by asking if perhaps that's the worst name for any group or committee that's ever been devised in the history of the city of Seattle. Um, Erica C. Barnett, let's start with you. I'm positive there have been worse committees, especially, you know, under Jenny Durkin, where I think there was like committee. I'm just going to say like, hey, I got this great pitch, editor. I want to do a story about the Revenue Stabilization Task Force. Uh, Doesn't get a lot of enthusiasm necessarily, but we're talking about it anyway. All right. So what is it? What was it designed to do? And why are we talking about it? Um, yeah, I think I called it the Progressive Revenue Work Group or something, yeah. um, to paraphrase that, which is not much better. It is a group of people who met over uh, the course of, I think, 10 meetings to come up with some proposals for basically taxes or fees that would be progressive, meaning they would hit wealthier people harder than poorer people. And they considered 62, 63 different options and came up with a list of nine, of which they've said uh, that three are feasible in the short term. And uh, and so it's just kind of a matter of tweaking existing taxes. They have talked about doing a capital gains tax at the local level and uh, increasing the jumpstart tax. And the, and the last option among those three is a tax on highly compensated people. So CEOs who make uh, more than a certain percentage of the uh, average worker would see a tax um, on their companies. So those they think are all feasible and least likely to uh, be sued out of existence. But, you know, we'll see the Metro Seattle Chamber of Commerce uh, issued a statement immediately after this list of recommendations came out. And they had re- a representative on the task force. And their statement was basically, we don't need any new taxes. We need to cut spending. So they, you know, clearly are not on board and they've sued over taxes in the past. Before we go to Sandeep Kashik, there's so many great ideas in here of vacancy tax, estate tax, inherited tax, congestion tax, this high CEO pay ratio tax. I'm just wondering, Erica, like of all of these interesting ideas, which one's your favorite? Are there any that you really, really just kind of like, yeah, that's a tax I can get excited about? I'll be honest. I mean, and this is this is a controversial tax, uh, I think, among lefties, but I like the congestion tax. I think there's a way to do it. And this would be basically a toll, essentially, for coming, you know, into congested areas during certain times of day. I think there's a way to do it where you exempt people who, you know, are lower income. And I think you can do it in a reasonable way that's not just, you know, the very poorest people. And you still would get quite a bit of money from that. It's something that Jenny Durkin proposed and then dropped uh, during her administration. And it's back. Um, I don't think they're going to do it because I think it's very, very controversial because, uh, you know, 
people who have to work in person, many of them drive. Some of them don't really choose to drive because they don't have good bus service. So, uh, but I think there's a way around that. And uh, I think that would be um, a good way to get people who have a choice uh, out of their cars. It is a little bit ironic that in the city of Seattle, like where we basically have almost nothing but regressive taxes, that when you get these kind of regressive taxes that have some sort of social good at the end of them, it's like, oh, no, we can't do that. That's a regressive tax. And it's like a little bit funny that we only pick on on regressive tax that might, taxes that might actually do some good. And as you're saying, it's possible. That they well, can, it's not totally regressive. Yeah, right, I right. Mean, because people do ride the bus and most of the people who ride the bus tend to be poorer on average, than, you know, than people who are driving their cars into downtown Seattle every day. So, you know, I think there's a way to, I think there's a way to tweak it. And I think that um, it could fund, you know, better bus service, for example, which God knows we need. So just uh, on the uh, congestion pricing tax, I mean, uh, this was something that Jenny Durkin, I think, was quite interested in. Uh, The problem with it is it's technologically challenging, right? If you want to toll all of the routes into downtown, particularly at certain times of day to even out traffic flows and and raise revenue, that's a huge technological challenge. It would take kind of years of infrastructure work to implement. Uh, And, you know, and and as Erica says, there's, there's pushback about, you know, potential issues around regressivity. What about lower income say, TNC drivers, right? And are they going to get socked with this congested pricing tax? That said, you know, other big cities around the world, like London, you know, famously implemented a significant congestion tax. And as far as I know, I haven't gone and checked recently, but I think it was it was working quite well for them, initially at least. And so I don't think that's on the table now, I think Erica's right there, you know, because of the time lag and the work that would have to go into it and the complexity of trying to do something like that and the pushback from the left, we're not going to see a congestion uh, pricing tax in Seattle anytime soon. I will say this more broadly about the revenue stabilization report. It was a pretty tepid, semi-nothing burger, I thought. And, you know, when I read the report, the final version that came out, I felt very watered down. Yes, they did have this list of nine taxes that the city could potentially do, but they didn't rank them or or recommend any of them in particular. They did say this these three are kind of more doable in the short term, but the revenue numbers were kind of sketchy. And there was a lot of language in the report too about even though it wasn't they explained it wasn't their mandate talking about the fact that that the city could also look at budget reductions right in tandem with you know new revenue to address the quote unquote you know 200 plus million dollar shortfall that um, <laughs> I don't think that's a quote unquote. I, mean, I think that is a structural <laughs> well, shortfall. According to both the mayor side of things and the council right. side of things, they have budget analysts on both sides that have come up with, you know, essentially the same numbers. Uh, I think the pushback on the 200 plus million dollar annual shortfall is that they just raised, you know, this very sizable jumpstart tax that, you know, revenue has just started coming in the last couple of years, but they segregated all of that revenue uh, it, it, they intended to segregate all of that revenue the council did outside of the general fund. Of course, they've been raiding a bunch of it to to backfill the budget over the last few years. But the argument is we need to stop raiding that and spend all of that money on 
admittedly good stuff. Well, those things are in the general fund. They're things that the city, like, does. I mean, the, the business of the city, things like housing, things like, you know, equitable development, things like Green New Deal priorities that the city adopted a very long time ago. So it's not like this is, you know, yeah. just wild new spending on experimental programs. It's it's the business of the city, but it's a way of saying, you know, this is a funding source for those things that the city does. and. Other funding sources can fund the other things that the city does. The, the intent of, of Jumpstart, when Teresa Mosqueda passed it, right, was to not allow it to be, uh, you know, that this was intended to be new spending, right, not to go backfill gaps in, in general fund revenue. Now, they ended up doing that. It's like $85 million a year they've been grabbing out of Jumpstart to balance the general fund budget. Um, and look, they could do that, right? They could go in and, and just repurpose Jumpstart and use it to fund the general fund. But of course, they've committed a bunch of that money now. And so it would represent a cut at this point to, to do that. I think what we're likely to see happen is some level of budget cuts in this coming budget cycle. And then I'm not 100% sure whether we're going to see an actual revenue proposal go forward or not. What Teresa Mosqueda has said is that she's asked central staff to start working on proposals for these three taxes that Erica mentioned, the muni cap gains or turning the dials on Jumpstart to raise more revenue or this kind of CEO, excessive CEO pay tax. But she hasn't committed to introducing them. And I'm not sure what the appetite is right now at council in an election year to, to, to do any of this. So it's going to be kind of curious to see how this plays out. I, in I don't the know fall, right? It'll be, be playing out in yeah, the fall, in this fall as a part of the budgeting process. That's right. Budgeting process starts third week of September and goes uh, till Thanksgiving. And the full focus of the council turns to doing the biennial budget. And so, you know, are they going to do one of these significant tax increases as part of that? Or are they going to just punt this whole thing to next year, right? Teresa's on her way out the door. Like She's very likely to be elected to the King County Council. Is she going to push forward a tax revenue? Are her colleagues going to go along with it? You know, it's all kind of squishy right now. Let me ask another question for Erica. Do you think it's possible that these taxes could be a part of the upcoming city council races or the ongoing city council races where candidates are asked, will you back the high CEO pay ratio tax? Will you back an increase to the Jumpstart payroll expense tax? Could that be a hot button issue, you know, when Erica C. Barnett is um, involved with debates or talking to candidates? I mean, I think the hot button issues are going to remain homelessness and public safety. But I do think that that could become an issue. You know, uh, David, you've also sort of headlined some debates. So maybe we can both uh, be asking these questions. But, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, increasing taxes, um, even though the jumpstart tax and, you know, if, if it were to increase would only be on employers at the very, very largest companies. So it's not a tax on individual people. You know, it could be controversial. I think there is some pushback among, um, you know, the more conservative members of the council, Sarah Nelson and Alex Peterson saying we need to cut, cut, cut before we tax, tax, tax. Um, I will say just to respond to something Sadiq said and, and this entire framing of this being about jumpstart, one of the reasons that we have a structural deficit right now, I mean, jumpstart has certainly filled in some of the gap, but a huge part of it is COVID money that, you know, we started programs during COVID and now uh, we want to keep them. And federal dollars, dollars flowing through the state are going away. And so there is a fundamental question in 2025, 2026 of, you know, do these programs that we have started, you know, using COVID dollars, uh, programs that are very important for, you know, in, among others, people experiencing homelessness, should they go away or should we figure out a way to fund them? So I think there's a fundamental question there that goes beyond, you know, should we 
Should we turn the dials on Jumpstart? Should we raid Jumpstart? The, the amount of COVID money is significantly larger in recent years than Jumpstart, you know, or or around the same in some years. So there's there's a lot of different problems going on. Everybody knew that was one-time money, right? It was like sort of the federal... Does it ever matter that everybody knows it's one-time money? I mean, I've well, never seen that matter. I think, I, right. Well, it doesn't matter because the progressive left said, let's use it to start a bunch of new programs that then are going to be never, popular and then, then... That was literally <laughs> what the money was for. So I don't know if you wanted them to just throw it back in the federal well, government's like, face hey, let's, or... Let's do some one-time funding of some good projects. You know, anyway, I look, I, 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 you can see why the business community is pushing back. Eric, on your narrative that this is like, you know, incredibly necessary, important funding that right now we're in a really significant deficit and we need a lot of new revenue in order to, to balance the books. I mean, the, the, the other thing that jumped out at me in the report, though, is that they say that that 85 percent of the uh, anticipated budget shortfall is related to payroll or, or employee expenses for the city that have not yet been uh, anticipated increases in in payroll for city employment that have not yet been, you know, negotiated, right? Union contracts. Yeah, like the police contract. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. So, you know, there's also a question that that raises of like, well, maybe you can't give bigger raises, right? Maybe your raises- People can- are, I mean, right now, Bruce Harrell is not proposing raises. He's proposing a 1% cost of living adjustment at a time mm-hmm. when cost of living has been going up by, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent So he's actually talking about pay cuts at this point. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's very important not to sort of portray city employees as sitting there fat and happy. Um, and, and, and let's and let's not forget that it is, you know, that a lot of city departments are incredibly understaffed right now because they have not been able to offer competitive uh, wages compared to other cities, private sector. So, you know, I don't think cutting people's wages or right. not giving them cost of living adjustments is a very good, stable, long-term solution. I, look, I, I I think there's likely, and at the end of the day, whether it happens this year or next year, I think there's likely to be some kind of revenue increase. I, If I had put my money on it, it's either some sort of tweak to jumpstart and or, you know, a one or 2% municipal capital gains tax in the city, right? Those are at hand, pretty easy to do. The state's already, you know, won their Supreme Court lawsuit justifying capital, you know, their 7% capital gains tax. The city could piggyback on that. And that is a tax that is very progressive. It will only, the, the way the state constructed that tax or the advocates who, who pushed it forward at the state constructed that tax was very smart, right? They, they exempted people's, uh, you know, real estate properties, you know, it's really only a tax on your kind of investment income above $250,000 a year. So it falls on a very small number of very, very rich people who I think there's broad support, certainly in the city of Seattle for saying those people should pay more money. Right. And so, yeah, they can fuck themselves. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think you and I can, can, can agree. You know, I mean, Alex Hudson, the candidate I'm working with was the first in D3 to come out and say, let's do a municipal capital gains tax on top of the state tax. So I think there is some momentum there. And I think that, you know, a 2% tax raises between 50 and $60 million a year, which is not chump change. That's real money. And I think that's in play. 
I think there are questions around turning the dials on Jumpstart of what dials they turn, right? They could broaden the number of companies impacted. They actually say in the report that only a dozen companies pay the vast bulk of the tax currently. They could lower the threshold. Right now, it only applies to jobs paying more than, I think right now it's $174,000 a year and up. So they could lower that threshold. It was one fifty when they passed it, but I think there's an inflator built into that. Anyway, you know, there are any number of things they can do to kind of, kind of, they could change the rates, right? They could raise the rates. There are three tiers in that. So I think at the end of the day, whether it's this year or that, we'll see something on the revenue side, right? But I think we're also going to see some cuts. Well, one thing, one thing I think that is totally disingenuous is the notion, I'm not saying you're saying this, Sandeep, but the notion that we could achieve this all by cuts, um, it's an average $244 million annual gap. And that is like 15% of the entire general fund budget. Um, mm. So there is no amount of cuts that would be acceptable that would ever pass, you know, muster at the council uh, that I think Bruce Harrell would ever propose that would amount to $250 million a year, $244 million. So I just I just think that it, when we're talking about this, it's just it's not uh, a reasonable position. And I've heard people express this, that, you know, we just need to cut, cut, cut first. Right. Um, and I and I would like to hear where people think that we need to cut because you know frankly uh, the city council treats and, and the mayor treat the police department as absolutely sacrosanct. They tend to give them everything they want in contract negotiations, which are ongoing right now. They're going to have a lot of extra expenses when they adopt the police contract because it's all going to be retroactive to when their last contract ran out. So it's they've got a lot of built-in expenses that they are just not willing to cut. And so what does that come out of? I mean, it comes out of parks. It comes out of human services. It comes out of all the things that, you know, are always on the chopping block. But I don't think $250 million comes out of any of those things because I don't think that's feasible or possible. Well, again, $250 million a year, right? Your number. But the report also cites the fact that there's $300 million a year in segregated tax revenue that has been recently implemented. The vast majority of that is Jumpstart, but it's also the sugar sweetened beverage tax. It's a, there's, a, there's some other... I mean, you act as though it, as though the city wouldn't be funding housing were it not for Jumpstart, and Jumpstart is the thing that made housing funding happen. Again, it's so new spe- I, I think it's, it was segregated it to be new spending. It was segregated to be new spending outside the general fund. I think the business community's argument is, well, wait a minute, if you can't fund your basic services... Why don't you repurpose your shiny new fund spending to like, you know, the boring, mundane, but necessary spending that you're supposed to, you know, be funding? Well, I, I, I don't think I would I would consider housing actually necessary. <laughs> I would not consider that like a shiny, new, flashy thing. I mean, we have a homelessness crisis in this right. city. And to suggest that like that housing is some special segregated thing that we wouldn't be funding otherwise or that we should be turning away from in favor of, you know, I don't know what potholes and cops. Right. Um, that those are all value judgments. Yeah. And, like, yeah. The cha- the chamber's value judgment may be potholes and cops, but, you know, the public may think, like, let's actually do something about homelessness and build some housing. I think I think politically, Erica, you might be right. I mean, the one question I have is just calling it the Revenue Stabilization Task Force in the first place seems slightly problematic when you're saying, you know, I, Erica Barnett, I'm calling it the Progressive Revenue Task Force, which is what the original task force or the older task force was actually called, right? Progressive Revenue Task Force. That's essentially... Well, that's because all the taxes they proposed are progressive. Yeah, that's yeah. effectively what this... It's not, it's effectively it's not what that the this task force is, is perfect. Right, in terms, of, in terms of what they ended up coming right. with. I want to change the subject, though, if possible, to move on to uh, something that's near and dear to both of your hearts, drug criminalization 
or the lack thereof. Erica, um, <laughs> you could have just stopped at yeah. the first word. Let's start right there. Um, there's been there's been breaking news today, and you are going to fill us in, and then Sandeep is going to do his usual, you know, I don't know what. We'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> well, um, so I think this I think this actually relates to our conversation about the budget. So the city council has been, as we've discussed, considering this proposal that would empower the city attorney to prosecute people for drug use in public places and for just possessing drugs other than cannabis. And they've been going round and round on it. Um, there's been a fentanyl uh, task force that Bruce Harrell formed that has been meeting. And Andrew Lewis, who was the swing vote against the law first time around back in June, I believe, is now kind of its greatest crusader and fan in some ways. And he tried to fast track it so that it would skip a council committee, go directly to the city council and pass as early as September 5th. And the divided council voted that down today with Deborah Juarez, who supports the law, saying basically that council staff wouldn't have time to actually do any analysis of it um, because it has changed. They've added a lot of language to it. You know, I don't think the language that they've added is going to be particularly impactful, (laughs) but they've added it. It's longer now. So um, so now it's going to be put off until probably mid mid to late September. Yeah, I think it's caught in in the spokes of some pretty um, thorny, I'm mixing metaphors, but some pretty thorny interpersonal politics on the council right now. I mean, Andrew obviously wanted this push forward and he was the deciding vote, the fifth vote that that killed the initial version of this in June and got a ton of blowback. We just had a primary election where he came in at a pretty underwhelming 43.5%. It doesn't mean He's doomed, but it means that he's got a race on his hands against uh, a, a candidate running, you know, more to the center, Bob Kettle. So Andrew has a big incentive to get this whole kind of kind of fiasco around the drug law, which got a huge amount of attention when it went down, get, getting it getting it resolved, right? And yes, so, the fiasco of a, of a short delay. Yeah, well, it's, it doesn't seem all that short. It seems to be endless at this point, right? It's we'll see when they, when, they, when they get around to it. Um, you know, so obviously— uh, Two months for a non-urgent issue. It, 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 it certainly feels to me that there are some folks, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, Council President Juarez, who are kind of, in, you know, want Andrew to twist in the wind a little bit, right? You know, you took that vote, dude. Oh, and, 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 no, and, and I, I mean, and our, I, I don't, I don't really think that's what's going well, she's on. She's endorsed I mean, Bob Kettle, right? She's, she's not an Andrew Lewis fan. I think we've, sure, you know, we know that, right? So who knows, right? I don't want to ascribe motives to Deborah. I have not talked to her about it, but you know, maybe she has, she has different reasons for wanting to kind of hold off on voting for it. Obviously, Andrew wanted to push it forward because he'd like to get out from under this, you know, kind of p- political issue for him in the midst of his re-election and lost this this kind of kind of push today to get it expedited. So he's going to have to, you know, twist in the wind for another month or so. Well, not another month. Uh, it's going to be, again, probably around September 19th is when the vote's going to happen. So that's two more weeks. Um, so again, I just don't think this month. is like... It's September. No, it's, it's August fifteenth today. That, so the so the council goes on council recess every single. So it would have been so okay. So it's not an additional month, Sunday, but it's an additional two weeks. Like we can all do math. Yeah. Um, we can all look at a calendar. It's the your what you're what you're saying is true. Like, the Literally have, true. Have, the council should have skipped its uh, its recess. Or, made everybody right, on right. staff come back for vacation. I mean, it's just right, like, right, right, right. And well, also, like, I just I just don't think there is an urgent need for Ann Davison to be out there like immediately. You know 
cracking heads and putting people, you know, in front of judges for for drug use and simple possession. I think that she will have plenty of opportunity to do that if she so chooses. But, you know, I mean, there's also in parallel to this, um, Harold is sort of claiming to be proposing or coming up with all these, you know, alternative solutions, you know, more diversion, more, you know, drug treatment, more this, more that, just, you know, not so many arrests and not so much jail. But I will say the way it ties back to our previous discussion is Harold has has not proposed any new money for any of this stuff. And the announcement that he made a couple of weeks ago about $27 million for drug treatment and diversion, you know, et cetera, is, you know, a lot less than it appears. I think it's been consistently and almost universally misreported by the mainstream media. I know that phrase kind of makes me sound like a crackpot, but I'm just trying to be vague. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's $7 million, which Harold has indicated that he wants to spend on this opiate overdose, you know, sort of recovery site where people can get services. That was proposed uh, back in, I think, April. So it's $7 million of leftover money that the city, you know, is going to lose if they don't spend it from federal federal grants. And then the remaining money is all from opiate settlement funds. And it's a million dollars, a little more than a million dollars a year for the next two decades. So most of that money is not uh, is not real money in hand. And so all this other stuff, you know, there's no funding for it. And so if the council is going to cut, you know, that is that is a move in the direction away from funding all this stuff that Harold says that he wants and is going to implement. So I just I just think, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of shuffling around of money that's going on and not a lot of real straightforward facts and honesty about uh, the actual situation, which is that we don't have funding for this stuff. And if we want to fund it, we have to find revenue or, I don't know, cut 80 cops. That seems like Your a great place to end. Fantastic <laughs> uh, last word from Erica C. Barnett. And uh, thanks so much for everybody listening to the uh this edition of Seattle Night. Sandeep is going to have to wait until next week to get in because we're over time. But thanks, Sandeep. Just everybody, like, there's a cliffhanger here. You can get in next week. Uh, I, yes, thanks. yes. I, thank I you so much. Getting, thank I'm you getting. so much to our editor. <laughs> we're calling the hunt. Uh, Free speech. Where is my speech? My speech is I'm being canceled. Thanks so <laughs> much to our editor, Quinn Waller. <laughs> um, if you want to get in touch with us, um, Twitter is the place to do it. You can also donate at Patreon. Uh, you can also contact us to advertise at Gmail. It's real Seattle nice at Gmail. And thanks everybody so much for listening. Mm-hmm.